We've talked the last couple of weeks about <coughs> our, this new, our new website and the fact we have this next step launcher. And um, if you're new with us, we actually have new connection cards. Everybody say woohoo. Yeah, thank you. Um, very simple. Just, uh, um, all we're asking for is just a, a little bit of information. But the really cool part is that if you are smartphone enabled, you can scan this QR code on the front and it will take you right to that next step section. And so you can then click on Let's Connect, which is the very first option and uh, fill out a connection card online with this same small amount of information. And um, if you do that, we will donate $5 to the charity of your choice. Uh, and you'll get an email from us with the details about that. So it really, we really just want to emphasize through this process that uh, we, are, uh, we believe strongly in generosity, right? And uh, in believe in, in being generous. Uh, so uh, if you haven't done so and would like to start receiving some information from us, then, and, and we aren't going to spam you or sell your information to anybody. Maybe it's a couple emails a week at most. So just take a moment and uh, scan that or fill it out and drop it in the box at the back and um, we will get you uh, hooked up. The other thing I want to mention is, and this is sort of goes with what I said earlier about the, um, about the war going on. We're going to take some time tonight as part of our Holy Spirit night service and uh, set that aside to be a specific uh, time of prayer for peace in the world. And so if that is something that weighs on you and uh, you would like to come and join with all of us to uh, sort of pray about that specifically, then uh, we will be doing that as part of our Holy Spirit service this evening. All right. <clears throat> All right, that's the end of the announcements. Father, I thank you for uh, these words that you've given me to share. And I just ask now that uh, you would put your power into them, that I have no power by myself. I simply speak the words that I believe you have given me to say, but it's your power that causes them to be convicting. And so, Father, I just ask for that now, that uh, this message would penetrate uh, the hearts and minds of those who will hear. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're in between series, and so... I was, it's funny, God will talk to you in the, at the oddest times. You know, you'd like to say, well, I'm having my quiet time. Lord, do you have anything to say? And it's silent. And then you go somewhere, and all of a sudden, God just starts talking to you in a completely, you know, unexpected way. So that was kind of the, the case for me. I was, um, you know, I knew that this was kind of an open Sunday in the sense that I could really talk about whatever um, I wanted to. <laughs> I was sitting on a weight bench at, at the Y, and um, between sets, and just kind of said, you know, Lord, what is it, what is it you want to do? What, uh, what do you want to talk about this week? And <laughs> this is the conversation that kind of took place. So I felt like God sort of poked me on the shoulder, and he said, hey, Skippy, 
You had a bunch of people get prayer for anxiety last week. Perhaps you could talk about that. Now, I don't know whether or not God actually calls me Skippy. <laughs> but I sort of like to think that because um, it sort of defines the relationship, right? I call him Father and Almighty God, and he calls me Skippy. So that sort of sets the boundaries, I'd say, of, uh, of our relationship. Now, I also know he calls me beloved son, okay, so I'm good with that, but this is just sort of a little nickname that I imagine. So he says that, and I go, oh, good idea, God, and God then replies, yeah, I get, get them now and then, so that's what we're going to talk about, and I think it's important because all of us struggle with anxiety from time to time. Um, thing is, though, for a lot of people, it's a daily struggle or a continuous struggle. I looked up uh, just a few statistics, and some, some type of anxiety disorder affects 40 million adults in the U.S. every year. 6.8 million adults, U.S. adults, have a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it says 31, roughly a third of Americans will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lifetime, and about the same number, about 30% of uh, adolescents in the U.S. will suffer from an anxiety disorder. And I know most of us are probably familiar that in recent years those numbers have been rising. And it's certainly not like we have to go very far to find things to be anxious about. I mean, obviously, in the last week, the world has become a little bit, maybe a lot more unstable than it was a week or so ago. Inflation's now at a 40-year high, and that's stretching the family budget for an awful lot of people, and that's causing anxiety. Gas prices are continuing to go up. I won't even tell you what it cost me to fill my car last week. And then, of course, there's the mother of all recent stressors, our, your friend and mine, COVID-19. And due to that virus, roughly 53% of Americans claimed that their mental health had been negatively affected in 2020. Now, that trend actually went down a little bit in 2021, but it stayed very high, higher than it's been over, on average over the past number of years. Another statistic said people who were sheltering in place reported higher levels of stress and worry over COVID-19 than people who were not sheltering in place. Okay, so we've acknowledged that anxiety is kind of part of life, right? And I want, I want to acknowledge something before I really get into this. You'll notice that I've put the word fix in parentheses. Okay, that was very intentional because I want to acknowledge at the outset that Anxiety is a legitimate mental health disorder, okay? And I don't want to in any way imply that it's not. This is like people who say to a depressed person, well, just get over it. <laughs> well, they can't. Not all of them can, right? Life is scary. <coughs> Excuse me. Life is scary, and it's unpredictable. See, it was unpredictable right there. And there's so many things that lie beyond our control. So what I feel like we need to do is to learn to see God in the midst of all the scariness and the unpredictability. And by doing so, 
to find a way to get through our anxious thoughts. Now, also having said that anxiety, you know, is a disorder, I also want to be clear on the fact that I believe the Holy Spirit can heal anything. Okay? So we have both of those things can be true. All right? Uh, but the point of this is not to say, as I mentioned with depression, well, if you're anxious, just get over it. You know, here's a way to fix it. Not everybody can do that, and I understand that. But there are some things that I think we could find in God's Word that will help an awful lot with those times when we may have anxious thoughts. And so, again, Scripture gives us... Hmm. There we go. Scripture gives us ways to fix our anxiety. And that's really just kind of a play on words uh, in that sense because we fix it by doing these things, I think. All right, Nick, I guess you're going to have to help me out here. Next slide. We fix anxiety, first of all, by fixing our hearts and minds on God's Word. All right. Secondly, we fix our thoughts on what is unseen. And thirdly, we fix our eyes on Jesus, all right? So let's kind of dig into that a little bit and talk about what each of those things mean. So first of all, we fix our hearts and our minds on God's Word. Next slide. All right, okay, and then now next slide again. So this comes from Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 20, which says this. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this is Moses speaking. And the context of this verse is that Israel, if you're familiar with Scripture, in particular the Old Testament, Israel had this very bad habit of ignoring and forgetting about the big G God, and starting to focus all their attention on little g-gods, gods of their own creation, right? And so Moses is here reiterating a warning that he's given Israel before. And what he's saying is, stop focusing on other gods who say nothing and refocus your attention on the words of the one true God who speaks. And I think Moses' words are equally important if you deal with some kind of a persistent anxiety, right? Now, here what he's talking about, he's talking about heart and mind. Heart in this context is really sort of a meta metaphor for the intellect, <clears throat> and mind really represents the person as a whole being, okay? And together they represent this idea of internalizing God's word. And as it's noted in the subsequent verses, this internalizing should embrace every waking moment and extends to every kind of activity. Now, the greatest deterrent to idolatry, and I think a powerful antidote to anxiety, is the Word of God. It's the treasure that God gave to Israel and initially gave to no other nation. Now, it says that that word was supposed to govern their lives and be the topic of their conversation. And if you 
continue to read through Scripture and you get into the New Testament, you find that the ruling, the religious ruling class that Jesus had numerous encounters with had taken this to a level that God never intended. He was speaking metaphorically, I believe, when he talked about, you know, wearing it and putting it here and there, but they took it literally and made these little boxes called phylacteries that they would wear on their wrist, uh, sometimes on their heads. There is a um, particular, if you've ever been in, in, some, in a home that's Jewish, and I saw this, I worked for a company that was owned by a Jewish people. And on every floor, there was this little container that was screwed into the wall. I don't know what the heck it was. Finally, I asked someone, they said, well, that's a mezuzah. What's a mezuzah? Well, it's a little box that contains scripture. And so the idea was that they are putting this, you know, somewhere in their homes. But the thing was, they had failed to receive that word into their hearts and into their minds. And I think we can face the same danger today, right? It's a lot easier to wear a gold cross on our person than it is to pick up Jesus' cross in daily life and carry that with us. It's a lot easier to hang scripture verses and texts on the walls of our homes than it is to hide God's word in our heart. And so if we love the Lord and we cleave to him, we'll want to know his word and obey it in every area of our lives. Now, there's a, there are dozens of wonderful verses throughout Scripture that speak about God's Word. I've just picked 12, all right? And I'm just going to read them kind of quickly. But um, if you want a full list, check with me later. I'll you know, be happy to try and, and get something to you. Um, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we know here from this word that God's word is alive. God's word is active. It's not passive. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, here's why it's active. The word is Jesus. That's why the word is living and active. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So here the, we know that this word provides light. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path refers to a practice that, uh, of that particular era in which they actually fastened candles or some form of light to their shoes so that it would light their path as they walked along. That's what that means. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So God's word can show us exactly how we are to behave. Acts 17.1, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Information. You can, if somebody says something to you, 
you can always go to God's word and check to see if that's actually true. And you should, right? You should never take my word for it, anybody's word for it. If there's any kind of question in your mind, see what God's word says, right? That, you know, any kind of word of prophecy or anything like that should line up with God's word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word's eternal. Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is reliable. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Words of Jesus. God's word provides life. Proverbs 35, every word of God pr proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And finally, Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So there's encouragement that can be found in the word of God. And so if we'll fix our hearts and our minds on what God says rather than on what the world is telling me, then I think you've taken a significant step towards fixing the anxiety in your life. Next slide. We fix our anxiety by fixing our thoughts on what is unseen. Next. This comes from 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, what Paul, Paul is saying here, that we're not supposed to focus on what's visible, which is what? Our troubles, our issues, the things that bother us. We're supposed to actually be focusing on what we cannot see. Now, this wasn't a whole lot of, this is a theological fact, but it wasn't a whole lot of help to Paul until he actually started to put it into practice. And so what he did was he resolved to fix his eyes on the future glory. Paul was determined to focus his attention and center his hopes and priorities, shifting them away from this life and shifting them to the next life. And so by fixing his attention on the future salvation, on his future salvation in Christ, Paul found strength to deal with the disappointments that come with life, the anxieties, the troubles, all of those things. Paul was a bright guy. I mean, we know that just from the way he wrote. And the, you know, the, the, the fact that the Greek words that he used indicate someone who really knew the language and was quite scholarly. And so he knew that nothing in this life lasts forever. 
But what really matters, what's eternal and permanent, which is a little bit of a conundrum, that's what can't be seen, touched, or measured. And so only with eyes of faith can people look at what can't be seen. Only with eyes of faith can one begin to understand, with God's help, the eternal significance of actions that may acquire. And so you can deal with anxious thoughts by understanding that as a believer, your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in the power and the wealth that can be accumulated on earth. Your hope is not in a political leader or an ideology. Your hope is not controlled or influenced by anything in the world, good or bad. Instead, your hope is in Jesus, someone who cannot be seen at the present moment. But nevertheless, Jesus Christ and adds his significance to every person's life, and that's real enough. That's why Paul encouraged the Corinthians to live what? By faith, not by sight. The Corinthians, and by extension all of us, were supposed to take their eyes off of this world. Because, why? Because what is seen is temporary and place them on the Almighty, the one who possessed all the power. They were to invest in what was permanent and eternal and would withstand the unpredictable changes of life, invest in heavenly treasures that would never deteriorate. Our society is constantly changing. Your life probably is constantly changing. Mine certainly is. Sources of anxiety will come and go. And so change is, is to be expected. We're foolish if what we're doing is trying to spend our lives keeping ahead of whatever's going to change. You, you just, you can't. And so this passage highlights what's permanent. It highlights something on which believers can plant their feet and know that it's solid. It's always going to be there no matter what changes. And so that is what we're supposed to fix our eyes on. And then finally, next please. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Next. This comes from Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the Greek verb that's translated here, this looking to Jesus or fixing your eyes on Jesus, <clears throat> what's implied in that word is that there is a definite looking away from others and a looking at Jesus. All right? So that's what this idea of fixing your eyes on is to stop looking one place, start looking somewhere else. And it, it suggests that trying to look at two things at once is impossible. Now, the context of this verse, um, the author of Hebrews, most believe it to be Paul, but we don't know for sure. But whoever is writing this, the context in which he's writing is that he's talking about a race. Okay, if you read the verses that precede this. And what he's 
is referring to is that a runner's objective, which is what he or she fixes their eyes upon during the race, is the finish line, right? I mean, you, you can't necessarily see it, but you know somewhere down the road there is an end to wh however long you're running. And the writer then turns this thought into a means of focusing on Jesus, right? It's because he stands at the finish line. We know Jesus is at the finish line. And so because of that, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, looking away at other distractions and other options that may constantly, I shouldn't say may, will constantly attack us. This is the same uh, focused attention that Moses had just uh, the chapter before in uh, Hebrews eleven twenty six, where it said he was looking ahead to his reward. Jesus is who we look to as the supreme model of persevering faith. And he, not anything that this world has to offer or anything that this world throws at us, has got to be our fixed point of reference. That's our true north. And I think the whole, this whole point can kind of be summed up in just a few words from a 100-year-old hymn. Now, you know, sometimes I think we get so caught up in pursuing, you know, music that is new and fresh and perhaps hip that we forget the great wisdom and the strong theology that's contained in many of the older hymns. And I think this is a perfect example of that. This particular hymn was written by a lady named Helen Lemmel in 1922, so it's almost 100 years old. And the refrain goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so, to conclude this, I want to show you um, a very brief, but what I think is a very powerful video. How heavy is this glass of water? Melissa, would you care to answer? Um, eight ounces? Twelve ounces? Sixteen ounces? The absolute weight of the glass doesn't matter. It depends on how long I hold on to it. If I hold it for a minute, nothing happens. If I hold it for an hour, my arm will begin to ache. If I hold it all day long, my arm will feel numb and paralyzed. Well, the weight of the glass hasn't changed, but the longer I hold on to it, the heavier it becomes. The stresses and the worries of life are like this glass of water. If you think about them for a little while, there's no problem. If you think about it for a little bit longer, it begins to hurt. You think about them all day long, and you'll feel paralyzed, incapable of doing anything. Always remember, put the glass down. One of the reasons that so many people deal with persistent anxiety has got to be that they won't put the glass down. We get fixated on the glass and we continue to hold it and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And if that describes you in some way, may I suggest that it's time to put the glass down and to get fixated on something else. 
Fix your heart and mind on God's word. Fix your thoughts on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you will do that, you just might fix your anxiety. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tapping me on the shoulder and reminding me of your words to those who have anxious thoughts. Like everything, your word has answers. It has answers for virtually everything that we will encounter. If we will only take the time to read it, to study it, to understand it. So Father, I pray that all of us, whether we suffer from some type of anxiety right now or not, will take these words to heart. That this focus on your word and on the eternity that lies before us and on Jesus himself is the cure to so many different things, not just anxiety. If we will, but take the time to read, to learn, to memorize if necessary, so that when we encounter those things that are thrown at us during the course of our life, our journey along life's paths, <coughs> we, will, we will be grounded in that word and can turn to that as an antidote to whatever it is that uh, is before us in that moment knowing that there is a hope for us that is so much greater than anything we encounter here and that even the worst of things are but temporary. So, Father, I pray now that you would bless each and every person here, just give you thanks and praise for all of them, for the lives that they live before you. Guide and direct all of us in this week that we might encounter somebody that we can bring your kingdom to. Whether that's just a word of encouragement, whether that's a full-on testimonial about the love and grace of God, help us to be open and willing in that moment to deliver to them what is necessary. So we give you thanks, we give you praise, honor, and glory, and we lift all of this up to you now, in Jesus' holy and mighty name, amen. God bless all of you.